0: Kimberly here. This is Macabish, cults, classics, and horrors. We're talking films, series, books, and life, and we're starting right now.
1: Maybe you played the phone game and it's actually real.
0: That that would be terrible and amazing.
1: Oh my god. Either that, or he's sitting there listening to us and trying to decide if he actually wants to talk to us.
0: Like, it's not too <laughs> late to ghost us. Like, this is ridiculous. I'm out of <laughs> here.
1: <laughs> trying to get everything geared up, buddy. Oh, there oh, he hello. is. Hello. How are Thanks you guys? To- Who am I talking to?
0: Really good. Kimberly here, and then Chris. Hello. Then Carlos. Hi. Hello. Hey,
1: how are you guys doing?
0: Very well, and everybody, Patrick Johnson. This is the right one too. <laughs> Excellent.
1: <laughs> Hi. Did you guys have a mix-up with somebody else?
0: No, I was doing research, and there's so many, so many Patrick Johnsons. I, I know it's
1: that's, that's awesome. That's my anonymity. That's how I keep from having crazy privacy issues. Because like it's <laughs> like try, try to find me. <laughs> it's like almost impossible. They're just general public privacy everybody always talks about privacy it's like at my gym alone there was like 15 different patrick johnsons
0: wow perfect
1: <laughs> and i was like so you know try to pin anything on me man i got 15 at the gym alone i can point <laughs> that.
0: that's right uh-huh. that's awesome so Thanks okay so, so what you guys want to talk about you we want to hear everything how did it happen how did you end up making movies
1: well how did i end up making movies i uh I was an art major in college while well, I was in college. Um, a buddy of mine in my, from my Spanish class one weekend uh, pulled up to me in a van, a big white panel van and said, hey, do you want to make 50 bucks? And I was like, um, maybe. Right. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> it depends. <laughs> um, and he's like, hey, yeah. So um, he had borrowed a bunch of equipment he'd worked at a radio station and 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 people would call up and ask for djs to do parties and he asked his boss what do i tell them and they said well we just here's a list of djs you can send them to and he was kind of entrepreneurial so he decided that he was going to take some of the jobs himself so he rented a bunch of equipment and then he needed help moving the equipment around because he didn't realize how heavy it was going to be he'd never done anything like this before and he took he he got a bunch of um you know music and stuff from the radio station so he assuming that the people that would call a radio station looking for a dj would want the same type of music that they played so it felt like he was pretty safe and uh so i got in working with him on that job and then we started doing just mobile djing while we were in college and that did really well and then we, and then you know but it's like fraternity sorority party so it doesn't last that long it's only couple times a year that you can actually do it and make money so we we contracted with a a local club to do stuff in their parking lot and they said yeah that'd be great we'll split the door and it turned out to be extremely popular then they quickly decided they didn't want to split the door anymore and just wanted to pay us like a flat fee so we out of pride quit and then went and opened our own club this is going to get to filmmaking soon trust me so then uh from there, you, you're just you just having to deal with all these crazy issues trying to do all this stuff, and we're trying to do it on the cheap. You know, We don't have the budget to try to open our own clubs. We had to find a building that was almost ready. My friend's dad was in construction, so he, we built a bunch of stuff. We built a DJ booth, and we did all the stuff that we could. And once we got the club open, we started using uh, some of the off nights. We would bring in bands and have uh, – live music and some friends of mine started in there doing live music and they actually started getting really popular and we decided that they needed to make a music video and we had a camera so that was sort of my first attempt at trying to take because I was in the art side of everything and they were like well you can make a music video and it seemed like it'd be pretty easy so we did it it was horrendous and <laughs> uh, what time was, frame is
0: this like like what year
1: this was back, uh, so this was probably like in 1991. Oh, okay. okay. So, um, and then I was thinking, oh yeah, this is going to go on MTV tomorrow. Like, yeah, this is a <laughs> this this is brilliant. And it was, you know, edited by banging back and forth between the v- two VCRs, and it, so it was, you know, and it was just abstract and painful we had like a bonfire a bunch of driving shots telephone poles trees going by you know rem looking shit
0: yeah from that time was this on video like
1: yeah it was it was vhs man awesome you
0: know
1: it was you know all washed out and then it's banged back and forth between two tapes that had been recorded over probably a thousand times (laughs) Oh no! (laughs) (laughs) it was like you know tv episodes so it was it was really bad but uh you know it, it just it did show you that like it, it was fun and it and it seemed like something that was a continuation of the art that i was doing and and so eventually i graduated and the world and i think so it was about 92 of course you know we were always in a recession it seems like so there was really not a lot of work but the band was on the road So they said, hey, man, why don't you come on the road with us and do the video stuff? And we're going to do like, and so we did, we had like a big projector. We would do live projection of the band behind them, images and all these cool trippy uh, um, visual effects, which was kind of popular at that time. And, uh, you know, so once I got into that, I, I started doing a lot more research into cutting between the stuff. And then that kind of led me to doing visual effects type stuff and that would seem like an even bigger extension of so you've got just regular art that you're doing and now i'm doing art but it's moving and it's much more vibrant and you get to do it with people and it's fun and that lasted for a little while and then i got a job in dallas so this was up in oklahoma this was at oklahoma state got a job in dallas working for a television series doing visual effects because I saw an ad that they were looking for somebody to do visual effects. And since I had done some visual effects for the shitty music videos, I thought that qualifies me. Perfect. I'd read some magazine articles. That seemed like I could, I could do it. Mostly it was Photoshop stuff. So I went and told them that I had done a bunch of stuff, convinced them to hire me, got on board. And there they, um, they were in production. So we were shooting one episode a week and they were shooting it on film and I was able to, uh, have access to all the crew and the people, especially during lunchtime. And you could also go down to the set, you could watch. So it was kind of like a, like a school in a way and people love to talk about themselves so if you go and ask somebody so how does that work what do you do you know oh i'm a <laughs> you know, sound guy and then they'll tell you all of how that works so oh, the camera guy nice. you know well, what why do you do that what how is this so, yeah you know. and I, I would work with the directors and the, D, the dp a lot because of the visual effects so i could ask a lot of questions and kind of figure out lighting and talk to lighting people and at first it seemed really overwhelming but eventually you start to to kind of go okay I get this this is this isn't that bad I mean it's just they have a lot of money but I can see how it's done and then of course on any production there's always you know half the crews on their own trying to make their own movies uh, at home they're all you know want to be filmmakers so I'd, I'd met up with some of those guys and then they had a much more like hands-on approach to how you could do stuff and I'd look at some of their projects and think okay this is all doable and so that kind of got me excited about it and that but that brought me down to the dallas area and then um i didn't realize that like shows like that they don't just go on forever they only go for a certain short amount of time and then you know so they get picked up so then I, i remember when i first came down here they were like oh you know We hope we get picked up again i was like wait what what you you know i just signed a lease for an apartment (laughs) we, we, we hope we get picked up and uh but luckily it did and they went two seasons oh good and so things went pretty well i thought i got a pretty good education of stuff and um and then once it shut down i went to work for a um a teaching thing but it was it was like a technical college and they were looking for somebody to teach design and art and stuff because there was no other film work. So I started doing that. And while I was there, I found a job working for an internet startup. And that um, internet startup ended up becoming match.com. Oh, it's cool. Wow. When they sold it, they, um, everybody got bonus. And so I used that money to buy a digital camera and then once, once the company sold all the people that were there legacy, they were, it was just, you know, just the writings on the wall. They're going to let everybody go and bring in all new people. Right. So since I had an office and I had lots of free time, I just started working on scripts and then I would use my office to, for casting calls. Like I'd have people, so people like, who are all these people coming to your office like during the day, <laughs> you know, and there were people coming in to do readings. So it gave me an air of legitimacy. I also had access to a conference room for table reads. So I wrote this really bad script about um, a group of guys who rob a bank using a robot. So it was more like a remote control type of operation. Mm-hmm. And they stole a um, one of those handicap carts from the grocery store with the motor and built uh, a ch- that as the <laughs> chassis. And, That's and great. They, and they used it with remote controls to send it into a bank with a fake grenade on it to tell the teller to put the money in a box on it and then they were going to drive <laughs> it out and and then they were going to then they drove it into the back of a uh, U-Haul and then we're going to take off and it was going to be this perfect thing that's awesome but things went wrong the teller didn't put the money in there stole you know pretended that they did reported the money was gone so they ended up with nothing and um bad guys after them you know typical Kind of first film, over ambitious, way too many things going, trying to do everything, and I thought I could do all the visual effects because, you know, that that was kind of my area, and so I thought this will this will take it up a notch and make it good. And I set up, I found this uh, theater in my neighborhood that was a dollar movie. So I started doing the math, and I thought, I wonder how much it would cost just to rent it out because if it's a dollar, I thought, I mean, how much could they possibly make like on a Tuesday? You know there's probably like eight people in there so uh i I went and did a deal with them and said hey can i can I screen my movie here if uh and I'll let you guys sell tickets like a dollar or whatever and i just I could put my movie in. and then I just like went out and just to all the industry places to all these anybody and everybody I went to you know the um used movie places where you trade in movies like movie trading company. there's a couple of local places here that you know, did a lot of cult movies and stuff. I let, they let me put posters up and just got it. So I got about 200 people to show up to that first screening.
0: That's nice. awesome.
1: And it was the week after nine eleven.
0: Oh, <laughs> oh <laughs> good.
1: Yeah, and I was like, ah, uh, everyone's like, yeah, you should cancel. And I thought, you know what? Then the terrorists win. So just-, <laughs>
0: just go for it. Just go for it. <laughs> yeah.
1: And I think it was good because in a way, I think people were just ready for something kind of stupid and funny and just completely off the, you know, off the rails and not, nothing didn't, didn't, didn't touch on anything that was going on in our world. So, you know, I got a lot of positive feedback and, you know, as an artist, if you just give them a little bit of positive feedback, they think they're geniuses mm-hmm. and that we're going to take over, you know? Yeah. I'm, I'm the next Corsese. Look out people. That's right. You know.
0: Going to Hollywood. Awesome. Yeah. And that
1: was sort of it. And then, uh, that kind of that put me i I wrote a screenplay after that that i really put some time and effort into because while i was there this is kind of weird that same theater they had they they showed um, mexican movies and there was a guy is this mexican guy who had started a bunch of um a lot i get i it was like Tex-Mex video, So he had like a bunch of video rental places that specialized in the Mexican market. And he, I think they, they would shoot the films down in Mexico really cheap. And then they would, just, you know, they, I guess they had some in Mexico, but then also in along the border areas and in areas that had a high Hispanic audience, they would also put the stores. And so they, but all they had in there were, were these Mexican films that nobody's ever heard of except in that market. And, um, and they and they usually they, they usually also had a band, one of the one of the Mexican bands that was doing really well, usually like you know um, like the panthers or some something like that, and there was six or seven dudes in it, so those guys would be on the poster along with some action elements and stuff and apparently he was doing pretty good, so he wanted to get into the English um, language films and his film he had one of his films showing at that same theater he 'd asked the guy that ran the theater who you know if he knew anybody who could do uh, an english language film for him and he said well actually with this this kid just came in here and showed a film that he had made you should talk to him so his wife called me because he couldn't speak english and set up a meeting so i went over to um this uh area of town that's that's predominantly hispanic and found this little strip mall and in that strip mall was the little tex-mex video place i went in there they led me behind the counter through a door into a windowless office where a guy wearing a lot of gold and a big cowboy hat (laughs) was sitting behind a desk and his wife was there to interpret and they wanted me to make a film for them and he was going to give me like five hundred thousand dollars and i was like oh my god this is this is it man this is I've made it. And then my friends were like, I don't know, man. That's, <laughs> like you know, like, what if he, what if that movie fails? I don't think he's going to take it, like, you know, he might take it personal. And I'm thinking, this is never going to fail. You know, this is going to be huge. It's huge success. And uh, so I wrote a script for that. And then it just kind of fell apart as most things do. And I could, you know, it was hard to keep getting a hold of him and, you know, missing meetings and one thing and another. So the, I entered the, the script into a screenplay contest that was local, that they were looking for some projects. And once I did that, I met some of the people that were involved in that project. And they didn't pick my script, but it was, you know, more relationships. And out of that relationship, I, uh, you know, found other filmmakers that were in the market also trying to do what I was doing so that was you know fun and encouraging and then I found a uh, a, an ad that there was one of the colleges had a producer coming into town and that you could for like 200 bucks you could go meet with them and it was like a course and it was limited to the number and it was going to be like two days where you just got to hang out with him and ask questions and he was going to talk and teach all this stuff so I went and did it and his you know it was pretty eye opening but the main thing he kept saying is like if you really if you want to start out, maybe start out doing a documentary because you can get a lot of people to participate you can get some sometimes pretty big names documentaries always have a place and you know you can do them a, l- a little cheaper than a full feature, plus you don't need as many people and you can take your time you don't have to do it in a in a long production going through the whole thing so uh I did what I started a documentary uh, on DJs, music DJs that turned producer. So I thought that would be good. And there was a thing called the 303 Roland bassline Machine that they created a lot of the sounds that are still in the music today. And so I tracked down the guys who first used it in a song and uh, they created a sound called Acid House. And from that all these other different things kind of exploded. And so I went over to England, did some interviews, um, New York built up kind of a, a little um, project, probably maybe 45 minutes worth of really good material. And the partner that I had on it started getting flaky, you know, disappeared for, for long periods of time. You couldn't, you know, couldn't get hold of him and he had a bunch of the footage and I couldn't get hold of him to get the footage to edit it, you know, that kind of thing. So I was thinking, okay, this thing's on hold, but because people had heard and saw some of the stuff from it, I got a call from one of the guys I met through the screenplay contest. And he had a person who was looking to do a documentary on the UFC and wanted to know if I wanted to, to direct it. And I was like, sure, that sounds amazing. So I started working on that. And while I was doing that, one of the other cameramen that was there was telling me that he had released a film, that he'd made a film and released it. And I was like, and you could rent it. I was like, oh my God, what? How how did that go? You know, that's that's crazy. And he was terrible. Like We called him Half-Head Fred because he would normally like cut off people's heads when he was filming them. (laughs)
0: Oh my
1: God. (laughs) So I was thinking, holy shit, if Half-Head Fred can make a movie, like... I think we should. So my buddy that was on that was on the project with me, we went down to Blockbuster Video and started looking at the, all the all the movies and you know the the really low budget ones and was, and, and renting them and watching. Them. We're like, Fuck, dude, we could totally do this. And at that time, the DVX 100 had just come out, which really was a game changer because it filmed 24 frames style, so it made it look like film. So, um, because two of the big things when I got started that everybody takes, you know, for granted now was depth of field, our goal, you know, trying to make things have that soft bokeh background where you just couldn't do with most of those digital cameras back then, everything was in focus. It was really hard. So you had to do all kinds of tricks like zoom in and stand, you know, go back to try to get the framing and low light and, and everything you could do to try to, to create that cinematic look and then obviously the 24 frame thing really made a difference so they didn't just look like home video yeah so we got that camera for the um we convinced the lady that was running the um the documentary to buy those cameras for the documentary so now we had access to the camera and um that then we started working on our own script we're like okay let's write a horror script and, and so we said, okay, we're probably not going to have any money. So he said, well, my grandparents have a farm that has an old house on it that nobody's been in since the early seventies that um, I think like his great aunt or uh, an uncle lived there. He, the uncle died on the front porch of a heart attack and the aunt never went back in the house after that day. And so the house had just sat there decaying over the years with nobody ever going in. I was like, well, that sounds like a great horror film house. <laughs> And we went out to the farm and took a look at it. And they even had um, the, his grandparents used the, the barn to, to hold um, a big travel trailer that they they'd go to lakes and stuff with. So we actually had a trailer we could stay in, and we had that that house. So I thought, well, what? Else, you know, I would like to do something cool, but like maybe a a vampire movie would be neat. But we can't afford any of the prosthetics, and I don't know how we're going to do this. It'd be way too expensive. So I thought, well, what if you did? If if the idea was That it's a vampire movie in the sense that the people think they're vampires because they took a party drug that made them crazy and they thought they needed to drink blood. And that when the but when the drug wears off, they'll be back to normal, which will give them sort of an immortality, because if your friend is trying to kill you, but, you know, once the drug wears off, they'll be your friend again. You're going to be less likely to just kill them. You're going to mostly try to just get away from them or or subdue them in some way. Then the other uh, angle was nobody knew who took the drug. So you would have that whole mystery of like, are they, you know, going to try to kill me or did they not take the drug? So basically it revolved around like a big, a big party that they were going to have, a big Halloween party they were going to have out at this farm. And a bunch of people took the drug and some didn't. And then the ones who did started killing off the people who didn't. And then there was sort of a whole, you know, um melee and and a lot of people going i swear i didn't take the drug let me in help me and then they, they would let him mm-hmm. in and then they would attack him and that kind of stuff that sounds great mm-hmm. so and, it, and my goal was like i was like blood just blood everywhere there <laughs> right. got to be lots and lots of blood it's like because if i know anything it's like people are going to expect the blood right and, and and i was like but you know and if you can't really do it to a certain level I like, we might as well just be extreme with the blood and so we got those, those Hudson sprayers, you know, that you pump up and spray stuff around oh, the, yeah. like, so yeah, we just filled those with blood, ran the tubes up people's necks. And then we just pump it up. And as soon as the person would bite their neck or bite them, you, we, i would just start spraying. And then I was like, and I told everybody, I was like, look, when in doubt, go for more.
0: That's right. Because
1: <laughs> Once that blood starts squirting, like it, we're committed. And if there's yeah. not enough blood, We've ruined the take and we can't go back because we don't have the, we don't have the, the wardrobe. We can't keep replacing right. the wardrobe. So we're only going to get one shot at it. So it's gotta be overwhelming with blood. And so that's what we did. It was, it, it, it was, you know, so we were out in kind of East Texas in some small, small town out at night, you know, cause we were shooting overnights and we needed um, we needed one scene where we needed a car to get attacked I said, look, man, half the people in this goddamn town have a car in their front yard. (laughs) It's just rotting. I'm like, I'm sure we could borrow one. Like, let us, you know, like, let us smash that car up and get blood in it. So uh, the producer that one of the producers we had, she went out and she had scored a deal with Golden Corral that they would give us all their food at the end of the night that they didn't serve because, you know, it's a buffet style. Mm -hmm. So we could have and that's what we would eat because we were working nights. So that we had free food. She'd go down there, Uh, pick up all these big trays of food. So while she was there, she, some guy was asking her what she was doing with taking the food. Like did she work for a homeless shelter or something? And she said, no, it's a film production. And same difference. Yeah. Pretty close. (laughs) And then he, and he, uh, she got to talking to him and he said he had a car that we could use. So on the night in question, we go out and she's like, "Oh I, it's around here someplace it was you know it was it was daytime when I saw it before, and you know now it's it's you know pitch black dirt roads no no lights, and so she's like, "Okay, this is it. We found it." So we set up our lights, we got a generator it's like two thirty in the morning we've got this car, a bunch of kids wearing costumes and 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 they get attacked in this car, and then we're trying to smash the window out, but it had tint on the windows <laughs> and, we could, and we couldn't get the window to break, so we had like you know like fifty takes of just trying to hit it with everything we could find. And we kept increasing the size of what we were hitting it with, trying <laughs> to see if we could smash it. And, you know, and I'm thinking what happens when it does smash, like I don't want to get the actors, you know, co- you know, hurt with the glass flying. And, and there was people screaming, you know, they're dying and they're screaming, no help. And you know, all this craziness. And so we left this car covered in blood, smashed windows. And then the next day, the guy called her and said, Hey, I thought you guys were going to use my car. Oh, oh, no. no. Mm-hmm. Oh, so no. somebody woke to a <laughs> to yeah. what they're going to think is probably still to this day, they probably call it the, you know, the Tyler Town Massacre. We don't know what happened that <laughs> night. It was a dark, spooky night in October, you know. And I'm like, how did nobody hear the screaming? And like, we had a generator going, we had lights. Certainly, you know, we were, we were using it as if we, we owned it. I was thinking, my god, what if the sheriff or somebody would have come into Because we had no paperwork, we had nothing, you know, we didn't get any releases, we just assumed. Uh, Guerrilla filmmaking at its best. <laughs> yeah, That's so awesome.
0: This is the number one place for Maccabish cults, classics, and horrors. For synopsis, reviews, and news, go to macabre.com Thank you for listening. Signing out until the next one.